What's up, everybody? Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast with your host, Aaron Dante, who brings you the hottest interviews with the dopest people sharing their experiences all across the world. Now, here's your host, Aaron Dante. Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. We have an amazing show for you this week. I'd like to thank all the new listeners and all the listeners that have been listening to the show. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you for commenting, sending those DMs saying, hey, thank you, Aaron, for what you do for Baltimore. Truly appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be right back. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there is something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, carryout, and delivery, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Harford Road. Open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m. Or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Folks, we have a show for you today. You know I'm always bringing that summer heat. And uh, we got somebody very special on the show. Um, again, I'm honored to have her on the show. Without further, further ado, Miss the doctor, the good doctor, Jean, Shannon. Shannon, China. Shanna, Hannah with the S. Shanna, Hannah with the S. B T A Y. You got it. You got it. Thank you for coming to No Picture Dark Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm awesome. I was kind of wondering when you were hyping up the intro. Who has he got on? I realize it's me. Hey, listen. <laughs> summer heat. She got summer heat. Yeah. But we that's a whole different episode, but she has so many credentials. I was had I had to go back and look at Alphabet real quick and see what was going on. But ah. she's doing some amazing things out here. Um, tell the listeners a little bit about you. Where are you from, Maryland? No, I am from Hampton, Virginia. So that's sort of um more suburban southern Virginia in the peninsula area, not far from Will- Williamsburg and Virginia Beach, but been in the DC metro area since 2009 and came to Maryland 2011 uh, when I started my doctoral program at the University of Maryland. <clears throat> so, yeah. Okay. I'm an adoptee. You're an adoptee. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, you went, where'd you go? Where's one of your favorite childhood memories growing up? The Hampton Roads, right? Would be Hampton Roads, Virginia, down that way? Yep, Hampton Roads. Yep, the Hampton Roads area. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite childhood memories are family times at my grandmother's house who lived in Norfolk. She has since passed away, but just sort of thinking back to the times when we were younger, we would all get together for family dinners and meals and, you know, just how close we felt and the food we shared and just sort of being in the same space with each other, uh, playing with my cousins. Those were times that um, I really value now as an adult. I love that. That day, you know, that brings you back home. Like think about, we used to do Sunday dinner every Sunday. Mm, it was like the whole family like my dad had 10 siblings and everybody but everybody would ship in somebody would do ice cream Mm -hmm. somebody would do the dessert somebody made the sides somebody made the main Uh, and it was i mean it was good potluck you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like so i I like hearing that about family i like that like you brought family into it so where'd you do your undergrad where'd you go to school at 
So I went to Florida A&M University, go Rattlers. I'm going to oh. throw a Rattler strike out there. Um, and, and it was great. I'm from Hampton. And so that was pretty far, you know, for someone like me. And I was actually a biological uh, and agricultural systems engineering major down at FAM. Um, but it was a great experience. It was sort of really uh, during a uh, a bustling time for the university, lots of uh, contemporary black thought, you had the Marching 100. And so it was just a fabulous experience. Uh, I know you're going to the Marching 100. Some of our listeners may not know what the Marching 100 is. What's the Marching 100? Oh, they better, get, they better get with it then if they don't know. The Marching 100 is the baddest marching band in the South. They are the, the marching band for Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, and they are dope. So that's the March of 100. Oh, they sounds more popular than the university itself. <laughs> <laughs> I know who the band is. I know. I definitely know who that they are. So thank you for telling us a little bit about that. And then I see, you know, you at your PhD. Mm-hmm. So scoop that up at the University of Maryland in sociology with a focus in social psychology. So did that right here locally um, and actually moved to the Maryland area so I could be closer to the university to be able to study, but loved it because the Maryland area is so diverse, is very international. I had a, a stint as um, an international development professional. My husband's from Cameroon and we wanted to be around multicultural communities and Maryland offered that to us. That's nice, nice. I, I love, love to hear that. And you are a writer also. That's what we got you here today. You're, you're a writer also. I mean, you have, I told y'all, we got rock star today. We got rock star on the show. She's also a writer. Is that something you grew up, did you like always like writing? Was that a passion? Was that something that you, was a hobby for you? Yeah, no, you know, I think back on it, it was. I always liked to write. Um, I don't know if I was ever uh, recognized for it, but it was always a great outlet for me. I like to read a lot and I like to write. And my mom even got me, I'm sort of uh, dating myself here, but my mom even purchased me a electronic word processor, which was pretty much a, a pretty big deal <laughs> when I was a kid, because otherwise you had a sort of um, traditional typewriter, but this had a screen to it. And so I remember pulling that out from under my bed and writing short stories and plays and poems and it just always felt like a comfortable space for me but I don't think I ever thought of myself as a writer when I was young and probably never seriously uh, contemplated as a career until I was much older okay so the no picks after dark podcast is proudly sponsored by Maggie's farm located at 4341 Hartford Road Maggie's farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth-awarding cuisine from falafel to scallops and everyone's favorite honey sriracha cauliflower wings. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m. Wednesday through Saturday and serving brunch Saturday 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. with delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy, and more. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials as well. Folks, we are here today to discuss something you wrote in Pipe Wrench Magazine. Tell us people a little bit about Pipe Wrench. How do they find you? Like, how did this all connection come about with Pipe Wrench? Yeah, so actually I found them. Um, when I started freelance uh, writing uh, 
few years ago, I found this really great resource for any freelance writers out there. It's called the Freelance Beat. And it is um, published by a Black female freelancer who sort of pulls together all of the call for pitches, meaning magazines that are looking for stories. They'll tweet them on social media or different outlets. And she puts it in, uh, is it weekly or monthly or twice a month um, email that you get. So you see everyone, all the magazines who are looking for pitches. And so I saw that in the freelance beat. And at the time, I was thinking about this story about the Birmingham Rollermen and the call for pitch was perfect. They wanted something that felt like it didn't fit securely in any other, you know, outlet magazine that felt a little different and offbeat and but was really um, personal and cultural. And I was like, wow, well, well this story isn't it, I don't know what is. And so I pitched them, I sent them the idea and said, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I wanna write, here's why I wanna write it. And then they got back to me and said they loved it and wanted to move forward. So the process with Piper, they, they, they talk with you. Did you speak to Catherine? Who did you speak with over there? Michelle, Michelle was my, my point of contact for throughout most of the process. You know, she lives in Italy, you know that, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Uh, Living her best life out there. Uh-huh. Yeah, and what was your thoughts when you pitched it to them and how that collab, like before you guys said, we're going to do it. Like, how was that relationship, how you built that relationship with, with Piper and Michelle? Right. So it, the way it works, you pitch and then I think I pitched them and it wasn't that long. You know, the, the, if you're a freelance, if you're a journalist, you, you know, sometimes you can pitch things and A, you never hear back or you hear back months later. And so it wasn't quite that long, maybe a couple of weeks, three at the most. And I hadn't heard back. However, I was concerned that some of my leads would go cold because I had already started reaching out to the men to talk to them about the story. And I wanted to come back as soon as possible to say, hey, I sold the idea. I'm ready to go before they sort of disconnected or didn't want to talk to me anymore. And so I reached out to them and said, hey, I know it's only been a couple of weeks, but I got this really cool story and I'm concerned I might lose my leads. Wanted to know if you're interested. If not, I'll pitch it somewhere else. And Michelle got back to me right away and said, yes, we are very interested. We were planning to reach out to you. And then we sort of took it from there. We had an initial call, uh, shared my ideas around the story. And then she pretty much said, you go and you write and let me know how I can support you. It was a really supportive process throughout. And Michelle even said, you know, I'm in service to you in this piece. I'm here to sort of help you birth this piece in any way that I can. And it was just a, a wonderful editorial experience and relationship in terms of her being really um, someone there to help me nurture and mold my writing and this idea that I had in my head in a way that could really uh, be received and um, brought the ideas together succinctly. And so it was great. All right. So let, let's talk about if we can soar. Mm -hmm. Tell was well, let's talk about the background. Like you had this idea of tell us the audience a little bit about the idea you had and how you pitched it and then how you gather all these people. Because being you, you and I have spoken about it, but mm -hmm. I like how you explained to me how you really uh, pigeons and things of that nature. And uh, we always think pigeons are like the like the, um, I don't know like they're like just not nice creatures or whatever. Mm -hmm. I look at like. Right. Tell us a little bit about that so we can get walk, talk, walk, walk, walk me through this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I think the people call pigeons sometimes the rats of the sky or something right, like I that. Didn't want to say, I was thinking that, but I was like, I don't want to offend 
Yeah, the the, the pigeon, the pigeon fancying world. But but yeah, so I was it was during the pandemic. I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I do, I binge like I'll spend a weekend and just watch TV for the greater part of the weekend, catching up on episode after episode of shows. And I was looking for something to binge and was flipping through Hulu and saw the this picture of a guy with a pigeon on his head. And I was like, what What in the world is this? (laughs) You know, because I'm a black girl from suburban uh, Virginia and the idea of a black man with a pigeon on his head was just like, wow, it blew my mind that this was even a thing. And so was really curious, watched, and it was for the um, documentary Pigeon Kings. And so I watched Pigeon Kings and it was, it was interesting. And, but in the end, it left me uh, with more questions than anything else. Like I was really, I had a lot of questions, like a lot of whys that didn't, weren't fully answered in the documentary. And so I left it alone and I sat with it. And like six weeks later, I was still thinking about this story and these men and the why. So I reached out to the central character of the documentary Keith London and um, on Twitter and Facebook, you know, I said, well, let's just see if he'll get back to me. And it took a couple of weeks, but he eventually did. And, and we connected and I had a Zoom interview and explained the idea I had that I wanted to pitch this story. I told him I didn't think I would have a problem selling it because it's a really cool story, but wanted to sort of get a sense of what that story may be. So I started with him to hear more about him and to sort of pose the questions I had that weren't answered in the documentary and then asked him who else I should be speaking to. And then he connected me with a few people and then just sort of uh, snowballed from there. And I was able to speak with a little over eight different men in the South Central area who were Birmingham roller pigeon fanciers. Were you able to fly out there and see what was going on? Or, were, or like, like how could, like, so you could get a feel of the story or were you just going off of what they were talking about and did they show you any videos or anything like that that you saw behind the scenes? Like, how could you, like, be in touch and have that feel of what they do? Yeah, totally. You know, I wanted to, but we were so pandemic-y then. And, um, you know, I just wasn't, I wasn't comfortable traveling. And to be honest, I don't think they were comfortable receiving this stranger during the middle of the pandemic. And so um, a lot of what I got was through extensive interviewing with them. Like I spent hours on the phone with these men. They were so gracious with their time. And I asked them to walk me through stories and paint them as vividly as possible. Uh, Some of them sent me articles and artifacts and things that they had. They mailed them to me so that I could have a better sense of what they were talking about video footage where I could, but I was really relying on their vivid memory of their experiences with these birds and sort of sort of pulling me into that so that I could feel it. And, and they were, they were great storytellers. They were really animated. You know, you could feel the excitement or the sadness of certain stories as they told it. And so I was able to connect with that even though I wasn't physically in their presence. Pipe Wrench is a new online magazine. You'll find Links to conversation pieces, playlists, essays, poems, and more by folks from all walks of life responding to the ideas in the main feature. Each issue is like a dinner party, full of thoughtful, fascinating people inspiring each other to build on each other's work, references, and ideas. You can read more from Pipe Wrench and subscribe online at www.pipewrenchmag.com. That's interesting. That is so interesting. I mean, just like... I wonder what was your perception going into the story and what have you learned after that story? Like what has you, what have you taken away from like, what was your preconceived notion? Like, all right, well, this, this is gonna be interesting. I don't know how this is going to turn out to now, how you look at it now. 
Is there a difference? Yeah, it was interesting because when I started, I thought that the story would be a follow on of Keith London, the main character in the documentary. And I spoke with Keith and he has a phenomenal story. And there's definitely a lot more to unpack there. But I found myself uh, gravitating to the stories of the older generation of the Birmingham Rollermen. And, and particularly because historically what was happening in the South Central area during that time, and it just makes their sort of entry into this space even more remarkable. And they're, they are they were all remarkable men in their own right with their own personal accomplishments, but just sort of overlaying their entry as, as a pigeon fancier with the historical context was really fascinating for me. And in, in speaking with the older pigeon fanciers, I kept hearing the name Cornell Norwood, just kept coming up over and over again. And although Cornell uh, passed away in the 90s, he played a really central role in helping to pull together this community during a very tumultuous time period for the area and fostering further interest and capacity in being able to raise the bird. So he sort of served as my sort of central character in the article. Now, where did they get the name from? Did they say that the origin of the name? The Birmingham roller pigeons? Yes, yes. Right, because they come from an area of England called Birmingham, England area. So it's a regional area. So that's where, why they call it the Birmingham roller. And they're a roller pigeon because they actually roll in the sky. They do somersaults in the sky. You know, and, and they, they differ from there's roller and tumbler pigeons. Tumblers might do maybe one or two somersaults, but rollers can do almost an uncountable number of them where they're just sort of rolling in rapid succession. And so that's why they're the Birmingham roller pigeons. That is so, that, I mean, again. Cool, right? I mean, that's so cool. Like, totally didn't know any of this stuff when I was um, entering this space. I was a pigeon novice, had no idea around any of this, like nothing. I knew nothing about pigeons other than Central Park. <laughs> you know, it's funny. The more you, the more you and I talk about it, it brought back a memory. And I don't, I don't know if you remember this. Do you? Re and I was a sports fan, so I remember. Remember Mike Tyson? Mm. Remember Mike Tyson used to have a pigeon coop. Yeah, that was right. That was one of the things I'd heard, like vaguely, right? Yeah. Totally. And I remember he interviews, and he always loved his pigeons. Mm -hmm. I was like, I pigeons, like I don't understand that. Like I don't understand it, and. Do these men see these pigeons as an extended, extended, like part of their family, like kids? Like, do they see them as? Uh, how do they view these pigeons? Yeah, I, I, I do think that they see them as an extension of their family because they love them. Like almost all the men talked about loving these birds and and really caring about them and, and developing close bonds with them. Like they could have hundreds of birds, but know each one intimately in terms of what it's good at, what it can do, who its father and its mother was, you know, uh, the, 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 the parts of its anatomy that are superior versus the parts of the anatomy that maybe is inferior in terms of enabling it to be able to do the role. So these men love the birds and they were a connection, an extension of their sort of broader family. Now, it didn't mean it was to the exclusion of people. I didn't mean any man who said, I just want birds and birds only, you know, <laughs> but it was, it was very much a sort of familial kind of relationship with these birds because they took really good care of them. They loved them, you know, they cared for them and generations of these birds. And so, yeah, I would definitely consider it more of a family type relationship now i didn't know pigeons well i guess i didn't realize birds i mean i know birds can be trained i know they yeah. can because i know I, I when i think of birds i think of 
when I go to weddings, they, 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 they let the doves go, doves mm-hmm. fly back mm-hmm. around. Is there like a course these guys like get taught on how to do these with the birds and train them and all that stuff? Was there something that was that talked about? Well, see, that's the, that's that's what's really interesting, right? So at the time, the, the sort of focal period of the article was uh, sort of mid-1960s, late 1960s. And so there weren't um, a, there weren't any schools. People got the information from other fanciers. However, a lot of the sort of um, principal prime top information was guarded in these white Birmingham roller spaces. You know, so these white men during the mid-60s, and we know what the mid sixties were in terms of race relations, they held a lot of this key information. And that's what made Cornell really uh, an important figurehead because he was able to penetrate this space and bring some of that knowledge back to his community. You know, later there are books written and I, I don't remember the exact timing of the book of Bill Pensum. He is the he is from the Birmingham area of England, came to the South Central, uh, the, the Southern LA region, Canoga Park and lived there around the 19, around 1950. And so he's considered the godfather of the Birmingham roller pigeon. And he wrote the book, a book about it. Cornell later wrote a book and there were other books that came out, but not all men had access to them and not all men um, were in the spaces to get this information. And so they shared it. It was, it's really, um, when I think about it, you know, you think about African cultures who passed along information through oral histories and, and verbally. This was how they shared information about the birds verbally and in community with each other to be able to improve their fancying capacities. That's amazing. I mean, right now, I mean, folks, you need to go read this article. I mean, I mean, this is just, you, this, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm glad, I'm honored to have you on the show Thank to you. tell the story because I think there's so many beautiful stories out there that need to be told yeah. about what's going on outside of what you see on TV. And with, from what I've heard, once you write the, write the, uh, write the, the story in Piperant, it's like a dinner table, I've heard. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, what was the feedback that responses you got back from from the article? Yeah, so Piper is a different kind of concept in that they 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 frame it like a dinner party. So you have a central article, which was if we can soar for my issue, and then they invite other people to read it and. Um, uh, provide some sort of reflection or response. And it doesn't have to be directly, but whatever the article inspires for them that they can present that and that becomes part of the collection. So we're kind of in conversation with each other around a similar topic. And that's a really neat or different kind of concept in the magazine space. And so all of the articles that sort of accompanied it were really great standalone pieces by themselves, but together it just brought this really interesting uh, knowledge and experience and just sort of immersion in the pigeon space and especially for people who maybe knew nothing about it and so with respect to the the central article it was really great feedback. Um, People were moved by it. They thought it was important. They were uh, impressed with how the article weaved in a lot of uh, socio-historical context while still being able to tell a story. But 
the people who I was most concerned about liking it and if they would uh, you sort of um, feel that the article reflected their experiences were the men, the Birmingham roller men. And I made sure that I reached out to each and every one of them to share it. And some of the men aren't even on internet. So I had to mail, I had to print out and mail some hard copies to a couple of them and then touch base with them to get their, their response. And it was the best, it was the best response. And I was so pleased because I wanted this to be something for them. That that's what's all about, and I was I was you you jumped the you you answered my next question because I was going to ask you how they responded to that because at the end of the day you're telling their story. Yeah. These connections you made with these men out there, do you see yourself doing a part two with this, possibly with them, and get a continuation once the world opens back up? Who knows when? <laughs> I mean, it's right. open, but you know what I mean. Do you see yourself like doing a continuation on how a little bit more in depth with them or? you know, going out there and getting photos and stuff like that with what they're doing. Absolutely. You know, when I talked to a couple of them, they were like, wow, when they were reading it, they, they cried and they really, you know, saw themselves in the story. And yes, we, I told them we are friends. We are friends and like it or not, I'm your friend now. And so that's, we are sort of um, in that space together. I still talk to them. I still call them to say, hey, how you're doing? One of them is managing some health challenges. So I've been in touch with him and his wife. Um, Paul, who uh, was a, a, a central character in the story and also contributed to the, the, the pipe wrench uh, uh, issue with his own fictional story. He has since sent me tie-dye t-shirts, which I love, and I've been wearing them. I had to order some from my mom. And so I definitely plan to go out there when we are not so pandemic-y to visit them. And I'm also working on a book proposal uh, that will sort of broaden the story about them as well as incorporate some other subcultures around the same time period. So working on that now to be able to share more about this, more about the dynamic ways that Black people have shown resilience during times of racial tension and harm. I love it. I love that. I love that. And did they talk about during the civil rights era as far as like anything with that as far as during the 60s and when they were doing ahead their group and they were learning how to figure out to merge? I know you said the one guy got some information, but did anybody else, any other the white men who add those pigeons, did they come over and say, hey, we want to share some of the stuff that we've learned? Or was it pretty much like we had to like sneak and get the notes to understand how to how... visit your neighborhood sanctuary? and do wellness for a luxurious experience for everybody. Treat yourself and a loved one with a massage, facial, or an entire day of pampering with our deluxe spa day packages that include lunch from the restaurant next door, fire and rice. For more information on booking or purchasing gift cards, visit their website at andowellness.com or call at 443-438-4048. They look forward to welcoming you and your loved ones to their beautiful new space at Soha Union, located at 4801 Harper Road, Suite 1. Yeah, so I, I, I did get the impression there were some who were who were more open. For example, this guy by the name of Frank Lavin, who unfortunately passed away during the COVID period in February, was one of them. He was mentioned in the article who was very open and formed relationships and was willing to share his information and sometimes birds with the Black Birmingham roller men. And there were others too. I, I get the impression that Bill Pensum might have been also open because he sort of took Cornell under his wing at a very young age. And so they weren't all 
racist, you know, but enough of them were to make getting that information or enough of them were that they were able to sort of police that information if they wanted to. It wasn't widely disseminated, but there were absolutely those who were more open and just were looking for men who were serious about birds and who could make good of that knowledge. So that that was uh, shared by the men as well. I love the story. I'm smiling ear to ear right now, folks. A smile ear. So again, it's a great story. And so thank you so much for sharing it. Now we're going to get the hard part. Okay. okay. It's called uh-huh. rapid, it's called rapid fire. Okay. All right. Who is your favorite author? Oh, I love Isabel Wilkerson. I love her. The warmth of other sons. Uh, she sort of showed me the apex of what uh, narrative nonfiction can look like. So I love her. Now, are you a seafood person? I, I am very much so. Crabs or crab cakes? Give me them cakes, crab cakes. Okay, okay. Are you a meat eater? It's not a lot of people. Yeah, not not a lot, but yes, I do. I do do meat. All right. Drums or flat with chicken wings? Drums, definitely drums. Blue cheese or ranch? I think neither. I, I don't love either of those. <laughs> Your favorite place to visit when you go on vacation? I'll, I'll say there the recent vacation, the Paradise Island, the Bahamas. We went there uh, recently and it was it was great. It was a wonderful experience. Nice. What inspires you every day? Life. Life inspires me that I have it, that I'm so grateful for it. The possibilities of life are endless if we open ourselves up to it. So life inspires me. What's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I have ever received is that, Shanna, you're enough just the way you are. Yeah, that, that, that I am enough. If I do nothing more, if I say nothing more, if I give nothing more, I'm still enough. That it's not about what I give or do or become that I was sort of born into this world enough. And it took me a while to come to terms with that. Yeah. Tell listeners where we could find you on social media and we can follow your story. I know a lot of people can be interested in learning and understanding who you are. Where can we find you on social media? Are you on TikTok? Are you on? I mean, there's so many things out right now, but. Because uh, I mean, I always tell people TikTok's like the new like it's it's it's, it's interesting area, but yeah. it's, but it's real life. It's it's people giving their their stories right there. Sure, sure. But where can we find you on LinkedIn and whatever we can find you? Yeah, so on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, it's at Shanna S H A N N A B T I O N T I A Y O N on all of those. On Instagram, I'm also a suburban homesteader, and so. Um, you can find me at black underscore suburban underscore homestead. And if you're interested in my work more broadly, shannabtion.com. We're going to talk about this in another episode, what you do, because you do some cool stuff with, with urban, with urban gardens and stuff like that. I remember. Yeah. So we ain't, okay. we ain't going to talk about that on this one, but we want to talk about the writing, but definitely we're going to bring you back because you got some cool things going on besides what you do is a brilliant article that you've written. And we really appreciate you taking time out your day. To just sit down and have a, like a just chill conversation about yeah, my pleasure. celebrate the work that you've done. So we salute you and we appreciate you getting that story out because I think a lot of people were interested in it. And I have a neighbor who has a pigeon coop. He's oh, wow. a big old pigeon coop. Now I'm going to ask him what kind of what kind, what kind of pigeon you got. I'm going to ask him that now. Right, totally. He's he not going like, to be ready that? for your pigeon skills when you sort of bust all these different varieties on them. He won't be ready. He'll be like, how do you know about that? So I thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> thank you so much for coming to no picture dark podcast folks love peace 
We're out. Have a good one.